If you're not a fan of the Andy Griffith Show, you should be. And every Senior Sunday, I think about a particular episode of Andy Griffith. No, it's not Ernest T. Bass. Although that's a great couple of episodes. It is actually the episode called Opie the Birdman. You know the one I'm talking about? Opie becomes the mother of some birds because he, he kills the mother, and so he takes on these, these little birds to raise and to grow. At the end of the episode, young Opie decides he needs to launch these birds, let them out of their cage, even though he's been nurturing them all along. And he doesn't really want to do it, but he knows he needs to do it. And of course, he's got his paw there to guide him into doing that. And so if you remember the episode, he actually stands outside of their house, he and his, his paw, and uh, he opens the cage for the birds to fly. And he's actually wondering if they will fly, if they can fly, if they know how to fly. And he is excited as each one of those birds takes off and begins to fly through the air. And then he looks at the cage, and he says to his Paul, Paul, doesn't the cage look empty? And Andy turns, and he looks at his son, and he says, yeah, son, but don't the trees seem nice and full? It's kind of what this morning kind of feels like, this season, as we go through graduation practices. I sat through a two-hour graduation yesterday for my son as he graduated from University of Central Arkansas, and so uh, not only did I think about that, I thought about all of those steps along the way as he was being prepared for this life that he's been given. And so I want us to look at life. I want us to look at being launched. I want us to look at what God has for us. So turn to Acts chapter 13, if you will. Acts chapter 13. While you're turning to Acts 13, I am going to tell you my philosophy of life. I think it's like a big bowl of spaghetti. I think it's like spaghetti because spaghetti is just a bunch of noodles that have an ending and a beginning, but you really can't see where those are, and, and they're all intertwined into your bowl as you put together the spaghetti, and, and you really don't know where it starts and where it ends, but you got all these strands, and then, and, and then it has no flavor to it. You don't just eat spaghetti. Spaghetti by itself is bland. You got to do, do, doctor it up, right? So you, you put a little sauce with it. You put some Alfredo with it. You, you put some salt and butter with it, some cheese, something to bring some flavor to it. I think life is like that. I think we have all these strands running through our lives. I think we've got all of our activities. I think we've got our family. I think we've got our jobs. I think we've got church. I think we have hobbies. I think we've got all of these thoughts and things that are running through our lives. And it's this big old pile of spaghetti. And just being honest with you, life can be pretty bland unless you find the sauce. The sauce is the purpose that God gives us. For each one of those strands, God has a purpose for us. And so when we look into the scriptures this morning, I want to look at one verse that speaks to the purposes of God. And from that verse, we're going to launch into a few other verses. Acts 13, verse 36, made popular by Rick Warren many years ago as he launched his 40 Days of Purpose, but I want to look at it a little bit differently. Acts 13, 36 says, when David had served God's purpose, if you're an underliner, you might want to underline that phrase, God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. 
He was buried with his ancestors, and his body decayed. And you think, man, Warren, that, that verse sounds so morbid at the end. But there's some great truth to the fact that we have been given a certain amount of time on this earth. And what the scripture is attesting to here is that David served out in the time that he was given, served out his purposes in his generation. In other words, he took all of his talents, been given by God, all of his resources, all of his abilities, and he used them for something. You are meant for something this morning. If you're a child of God and if you know God's purpose and plan for his will, that's when life gets so good. And so what I want to do for just a brief minute this morning is I want to break down David's life because I asked the question, what did David do? How did he serve out God's purposes in his generation? Well, immediately my mind goes to probably the most famous story involving David, David and Goliath, right? We all have heard that story. If we spent any time in church, we know the story of David and Goliath. We have a team, the Israelites, God's team, God's people, they're being harassed by the enemy, the Philistines, this people that continually came against God's people. They're being harassed during this time. They stand on opposite ends of a battlefield. The, Isra the Israelites are being taunted by the Philistines because they have this giant. This man named Goliath stood nine foot tall. He would come out of the tents, and every day he would challenge and, and taunt the Israelites. He was the rough tough warrior figure he was the john wayne the the, the vin diesel the kevon hurst of his generation he was the he was the man right intimidating imposing figure and so the israelites cowered down against this seemingly giant person in their lives they wouldn't take on the giant they didn't have the faith they didn't feel like they had the strength to take on this giant in front of them and so day after day harassed and oppressed they would cower down in their lives until one day the young shepherd boy David who had been left tending the sheep because he was too young he was too small to enter into the battle he was told by his daddy to take the boys some lunch his brothers were part of the battle and so he made his way with the lunch pail into the battle scene he notices that his Brothers are cowered down. This giant coming out and taunting, and they were cowered down like 40-year-old men at a One Direction concert. They didn't want to be there. They didn't want anything to do with this, okay? And he heard this giant come out and say, take me on. If you'll, if you'll fight me and if you win, we'll get out of here. And David said, who, who is this Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And this faith begins to bubble up inside of David. And he decides that he'll take on the battle. He'll take on the giant. He, he decides that all along the way he has been prepared. God has shown him and given him faith all along the way for this moment. And you know the rest of the story. He comes up against Goliath. Goliath shouts and laughs. Hey, you're sending Justin Bieber to mess with me. This is funny, all right? And he, David kills him in the midst of this battle. But I want you to notice what David said about the purpose of the battle. Because it wasn't for his fame. It wasn't for his renown. It wasn't for his glory that he did this. Look at what 1 Samuel uh, 17, verses 46 and 47 says. I've got it up on the screen for you. 
I'm doing this, look, I am doing this so that the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know it's not by sword, it's not by spear that the Lord saves. The battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. Did you see the purpose in it? David wasn't taken on this giant because it, it was all about him. David was taken on this giant because it was all about God. He wanted the world to know that God is real, that God is alive, that God is active. He wanted the world to know. He wanted his people to know God saves. And so God gave him great victory that day. And as a result, that victory brought major change for his generation. A generation oppressed, a generation in darkness, a generation harassed, all of a sudden because of the faith of one young man turned on a dime because he wanted the whole world to know that there is a God. And so seniors this morning, folks in the church of Wynn Baptist, I want you to write this down. God wants us to bring change. It's part of the purpose of our lives to bring change to this world. Some of you will have major victories in your life. Some of you have already had major victories in your life. Some of you have had victories over financial things in your life. God has taken you from a place of not being poor but being po. There's a difference. Po is worse than poor. And God has given you all sorts of financial victories. Do you know that there's a reason behind that? Did, did you know that he has a purpose for the victories that he brings? It's so that you can bring change to the generations, so that you can bring change to those that are coming behind you. Some of you have had or will have major victories over things like substance abuse. Why? Why would God give you that kind of victory in life? It's so that you can bring change to those that need change around you. It's so that you can have impact and influence, just like David says, to know that there is a God and that he is real. We are living in a world that has major needs, graduates. We are living in a world that has major darkness. We are living in a world that has no idea what the truth is. And I'm saying this morning that you have the opportunity to launch out from this place with great purpose and bring change to your generation. There is a God, and he saves. There is a God, and he saves. I, I, I got news for you. I hate to burst the bubble, but life is pretty ordinary. I, I know that we've kind of glamorized it while you were growing up, and many times over we've said, you know, life is going to be so, so big and so exciting. The truth is only about 0.03% of you will become a, uh, uh, an athlete, a professional athlete. Uh, it, the truth is, is that less than 1% of you will ever make the big screen or ever be an influencer on social media. The, the, the fact of the matter is, is that life is really built up of men and women who daily get up and they go to work and they put in their work for that day and they come home and they love their families. It, it's really pretty ordinary. But it becomes extraordinary when you live it for Jesus. When you take the life that you've been given, the family, the work, the activities, the things that you have that make up your life, when you take that and you live it so that the world will know that there is a God and that he saves, I'm going to tell you, that's when life gets good. 
Your job is to bring change. Let me give you another story from David's life. It's a little bit later on. It's after, after the great victory. Uh, matter of fact, the victory was so great that people all around began to take notice of David. They want him to be king. They, the, the, the girls are writing songs about him. They're dancing in the streets. I've had that happen. It's real awkward. <laughs> the, the, the people are willing to follow him at this point, but he's not the king yet. Saul is still the king. Saul, who's really turned and, and is, is experiencing a lot of confusion in his own life. He's not leading the people well. He's the king. David's supposed to be the king. But Saul recognizes that David is a threat, so Saul figures out a way to get David killed. He even concocts a plan. Hey, David, if you'll engage in this battle, this, this unwinnable battle, I'm going to give you my daughter as your wife, thinking there's no way David can win this battle. So he offers his daughter. David takes on the challenge again, takes on the giants and the challenges of life. And you know what he does? He wins. So now he's got the girl. Now he is married to the king's daughter, making the king who wants to kill him his father-in-law. You thought reality TV was fake, man. You need to read some scripture. So here he is, not knowing exactly what to do. He's on the run for his life. Saul still wants to kill him. He finds himself hiding in a cave. The people want him to be king, but now he's hiding in a cave, wondering what life is about to bring. Life has a lot of highs and a lot of lows. And here David is in the midst of a deep, deep low. So what does he do? He writes a song. In this kind of low, it must be a country song. Psalm 57. Listen to what he writes in the midst of this. My heart, O God, is steadfast. Part of the scripture is up on the screen. I want you to see it. My heart, O God, is steadfast. My heart is steadfast. He says it again. I will sing and make music. Awake, my soul. Awake, harp and lyre. I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you, Lord, among the nations. I will sing of you among the peoples, for great is your love. It reaches to the heavens. Your faithfulness, it reaches to the sky. Be exalted, O God, above the earth. Let your glory be over the earth. Here he is in the midst of what we would say is a depression, what we would say is a low point in life, and he is talking about this awakening of the dawn, and that is not singing to the morning sunrise. No, what David has envisioned is a new day for the people. He has a new horizon envisioned for the people around him. He is thinking about his chance to be a leader, and when he has that opportunity, he is going to make sure that he points the people to how good God's love really is, how faithful God really is. He's going to lead people to worship the one true God. You see, he didn't just want the position. He just didn't want the title of king. No, David wanted the influence because he knew with the influence that he could impact other people's lives. And so if you're keeping notes with me this morning, I want you to write down this little phrase, bring awakening. Bring awakening to this generation. Life is not just about positions and titles. There are so many folks who have positions and titles that don't amount to much of anything. We see that in our society all around us. 
Man, we, we gripe about the government. We gripe about all of these folks because, because, because seemingly they're not doing much with the positions that they have been given. But let me tell you, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, and if you've discovered that God has a purpose for your life, you want this new day to happen for those around you. You want to use whatever influence you have to bring a new day. Uh, not too many years ago, my little girl was a fourth grader in El Dorado, and she got to play with the South Arkansas Symphony. Now, before you think that's really special, so did every other fourth grader in El Dorado. They got to play. Do you guys remember these little instruments called recorders? Those things that your parents just love to hear you play? They all had recorders, and they all were going to play with the symphony. So as a good father, I went. And I sat in the balcony while everybody on the floor, about a thousand fourth graders, had these little recorders. The symphony was on stage. The conductor came out, he started the program, and they started this music, and the symphony is so loud. It filled this huge auditorium. And, and, and the, the music would swell, and at certain points, the kids would get to come in with their little recorders and begin to play along with the symphony. And man, then it was really loud. And I sat there and I watched that. Everybody in the room was participating. Everybody in the room was making music except for one person. And every eye in the room was on that one person, the conductor. He stood in the midst of all of this, and he was bringing people in and taking people out, and he was raising the volume, and he was lowering the volume. Every eye was on him. And you know what his job was? His job was to make other people sing. His job was to awaken the abilities in other people. Jesus has given us a unique opportunity as his followers to go out and to use the influence and impact that we have to awaken them to the goodness, to the love, and to the glory of God. That's what purpose really is. Francis Chan gives us a quote. I put it up on the screen for you. I think it's a great quote. Our greatest fear should not be a failure, but it's succeeding in things in life that don't really matter. It's all about priorities. When you find the purpose of God, you know that there is priorities that begin to line up. And David had found those priorities, and he wanted his generation to know who God was. Let me give you one last snippet of his story. It's late in life for David. He's been king for a while now. He has led the people to do just that. They're worshiping God. As a matter of fact, he has set aside a town, the town of Jerusalem, to become the epicenter of God's glory of God's worship and so he begins to to make this place where people would come for the festivals and they would come for the great religious traditions and celebrations and one day he's sitting in his palace his built palace and he begins to talk to his prophet Nathan because he looks out the window and I've got the scripture for you up on the screen it's second Samuel 7 he says he settled in his palace and the Lord had given him rest from his enemies and he said to Nathan the prophet, here I am. I'm living in a house of cedar and the ark of God remains in a tent. So, so listen to what he does. It's late in life. He should be retired. He should be laid back, enjoying all of the success that God had given. But do you know what he does? 
he decides that he is going to construct the temple for God. He goes out late in life at an old age and begins to gather gold and iron and wood and everything necessary for the temple. Years and years of work. He begins to plan out the sanctuary. He begins to plan out the the temple rooms and how God would be worshipped in this place for years, gathering, planning, and dreaming. All the while, listen to me, all the while, he knew he would never see it. He knew he would never worship in it. He knew it was for the next generation to come. I know it's an odd day to say this for you graduating seniors because you've got all of your life in front of you, but I think life gets really good and gets really purposeful when you begin to think about leaving a legacy of faith. Matter of fact, I've got that on the screen for you this morning. I want you to think about it. Our job is to leave a legacy of faith, to share in the faith. David did that at an old age. He began to make sure he was doing what he could to pass on the legacy. So right now, you may think that life is all about the next big paycheck, the next big friend circle, the next big house with the white picket fence, but I want you this morning to think bigger. Don't get suckered in to this worldly vision of what life really is. Bigger is your legacy. Bigger is passing down the faith to the next generation. Bigger is changed lives. Bigger is changing your little corner of the world for the Lord God. When you are today thinking about a new horizon, I want you to think about how you're going to live out the purposes in your life. There's a man by the name of Ray Rice. Ray is about 94 years old. He lives out in the middle of nowhere, Waldron, Arkansas. Ray was a mail carrier for years and years and years. Served in World War II. He's one of the last few World War II vets remaining. Ray lives very quietly, very humbly on his little farm out in the country. Hardly anybody knows him unless you're from Waldron, Arkansas, because Ray Rice for years and years served in student ministry and led small groups. Ray Rice became a deacon and served his church very humbly. Ray Rice became a treasurer in his church and began to serve in that capacity. Ray would go out and he would speak the name of Jesus in his community. He's just a mail carrier, y'all. Just a mail carrier living in nowhere, Arkansas. Ray Rice would go, though, and he would make sure that people knew he was praying for them by name daily so that they would come to know the Lord Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior, and many of those folks did. Ray Rice leaves behind, the day that he passes away, he will leave behind a legacy of faith. The world won't take notice, but heaven will, because Ray Rice lived faithfully. I want us to think about our legacy today. What are we living for? Because we've been given, in all reality, we've been given a little slice of time. We think about Jalen's little slice of time, 17, 18 years. In reality, all of us, 40 years, 50 years, 70 years, think about that in relation to all of time. It's just a slice. It's not much. But God has given it to us to use for his glory. What are we going to do with it today? I want you to watch a little video clip. It's from a movie way back in my day. In this movie clip, A brand new teacher comes onto the scene and he's dealing with these young, bright-eyed students. He wants to speak into their lives and so he takes them out 
to a trophy room. I don't know if Wynn High School has a trophy room, but most high schools do where all the trophies are lined up and all the graduating pictures from days gone by are lined up. And this teacher takes these kids out to that trophy room and he begins to speak into their lives about seizing the day that God has given us. Let's watch this clip. Gather ye rosebuds while ye may, old time is still a-flying. And this same flower that smiles today, tomorrow will be dying. Thank you, Mr. Pitts. Gather ye rosebuds while ye may. The Latin term for that sentiment is carpe diem. Now, who knows what that means? Carpe diem. That sees the day. Very good, Mr. Meeks. Meeks. Another unusual name. Seize the day. Gather ye rosebuds while ye may. Why does the writer use these lines? Because he's in a hurry. No. Ding. Thank you for playing anyway. Because we are food for worms, lads. Because believe it or not, each and every one of us in this room is one day going to stop breathing, turn cold, and die. I'd like you to step forward over here and peruse some of the faces from the past. You've walked past them many times. I don't think you've really looked at them. They're not that different from you, are they? Same haircuts, full of hormones, just like you. Invincible, just like you feel. The world is their oyster. They believe they're destined for great things, just like many of you. Their eyes are full of hope, just like you. Did they wait until it was too late to make from their lives even one iota of what they were capable? Because you see, gentlemen, these boys are now fertilizing daffodils. But if you listen real close, you can hear them whisper their legacy to you. Go on, lean in. Listen. Now, when David had served God's purposes in his own generation, he fell asleep. He was buried with his ancestors, and his body decayed. We are all wired differently in this room, but we are wired for God's purposes. Each one of you unique, but God has a purpose for your life. Have you found it? Are you looking for it? Let's pray together. It could be that this morning you've came, you have no idea how to live for God's purposes because you've never followed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. 
It's when he becomes Lord, when he becomes master of your life, that God's purposes begin to become manifest in your life. You can't know God without knowing Jesus. You can't know God's plans without knowing his plan for your salvation, and that is Jesus.